to be inspired through authentic conversations that is sure to be on everyone's lips. everyone welcome to episode 13 of on everyone's lips we are so happy you guys chose to listen to us my name is chelsea jade my name is Lindsay J. my name is monique knows aka mo and we are the ladies of oel that's right y'all the title of today's show is credit repair secrets 2019 but before we get into the show you know we got to get into some things and just discuss some recent topics so what y'all do? Y'all do anything this weekend? Got anything going on with with y'all? No, still settling in the home. <laughs> yep, Chelsea J just bought a new yes. home. She been acting hush-hush on it. <laughs> Don't want to say nothing. She's just trying to get settled in. She's loving it. <laughs> How you liking it? Coming home to your own Girl, home? feels good. I know, that's real. <laughs> been five years since I had my own place. You've been cooking up your own meals and everything? Yeah, trying to. I know, that's real. That's a good feeling. Nothing like your own. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, y'all know what what one of the hot topics is. There's so many hot topics, but one of the hot topics that I found really interesting was this of Drake's dad. Did y'all hear? He was on the um, Nick Cannon Close Conversations radio show. Um, You know, Nick Cannon got that radio show. He's been doing a lot of interviews. And so Dennis Graham, Drake's dad, came on there and pretty much said that Drake has been lying about his their, his relationship with his dad all these years. I was just like, stop I, it. I didn't hear that. I, I heard, heard a little it. bit of it because Wendy spoke about it. Yeah. But I didn't get all the details. So fill us in. So, yeah. So, well, he just pretty much was saying, like, he's always talked to Drake. He um, so Drake. And um, Drake's dad and his mother did split when Drake was young, but he said he always pretty much kept a close relationship with him. Because, you know, in some of his songs, Drake mentions, like, you know, um, pretty much saying, like, my dad waited for my dad. I think it was, like, zero to 100, whatever. He was just pretty much, he made a comment in that song, was mentioning, like, oh, my dad wasn't there, whatever. You know, dad said he was going to come around or, you know. um, And I think in that From Time song, when he had with Janet Aiko, he was like, you know, me and my dad just getting back together, whatever, you know, having conversations. Um, So he always mentioned pretty much that his dad wasn't around when he was younger, but I guess they're building their relationship. So his dad is saying that that's all false. And he actually said that, his dad told Drake's dad is saying that Drake told him that it sells records. That's why he's saying that. I was gonna. I, I was, was gonna like, ask. What? Is that the? Could that possibly be the reason? If if this is true, is yeah, that the reason why, why he I'm was like, saying what this? in the world? So you think he's doing this just to sell records? Like, I mean, it, financially it makes sense, but I mean, I guess it's no different than people talk about selling drugs and they really don't sell drugs. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. For some, I, I just don't believe it. I, I kind of believe that. I don't know. I kind of don't believe it. I think you that, don't believe his dad or you don't believe Drake. I don't believe his dad. But it does. It does get me to question why his dad would say that, because I did the thing that they were close in a good space. So I do wonder why his dad is just coming out saying this. Like if your son is saying that this is making money for us then why would you go against him, especially if you're benefiting from it? Because I know yeah. Drake is not. He's brought he's yeah. brought his dad to award shows and everything. Yeah. He's not just leaving his dad right. out on the street, not doing anything for him. So I just wonder why he would come out. So I'm kind of conflicted. He I'm wants like, his I don't, five minutes of yeah, fame. Yeah, I don't believe he that want... he would do that, like that why would Drake he would say, do that. Like, put him on but why would he that? put him on the spot and say <clears throat> that? Right. Um, so I don't know if they're at odds right now or what's going on. Mm-hmm. But it definitely is like, what? 
or maybe I didn't hear the interview. Maybe it was casual conversation. He just starts spilling the beans and didn't realize he was spilling the beans. You know. But I'm with Wendy though. Keep your mouth shut. <laughs> if I'm if, if we if you're my family, if you're yes. my mama, whatever, then I'm paying you. I'm taking care of you. Yeah, just but, shut up. Yeah, yes. just go with the flow. Yeah, go yeah, with just the flow. Be out of the spotlight. Don't yes. be doing no interviews. I'm blocking you from interviews. We don't need any extra. <laughs> it's a shame when you got to give your own mama and daddy a NDA. Yeah, <laughs> but you <laughs> disclosure. <laughs> like. Oh, so man. it's just like, uh-uh. The fact that I got to do that, but yeah, so that's been a big topic. Oh, and the Tyler Perry. Yeah, yes. That it's was so great, exciting. It was yeah. I feel like he should have invited all blacks. <laughs> <laughs> just had it open. Yeah, just had it open. Like, like it's just like African a big American milestone. Museum. Yeah, yeah. everybody <laughs> in Hollywood, like, hey, anyone black in Hollywood should have right. been there. Yeah. Yeah, I enjoyed, I really enjoyed looking at the pictures, looking at everybody who attended. And then I caught a clip of Whoopi Goldberg. She mm-hmm. spoke about it on The View. And yeah. uh, her and the other lady that's on the show, they both were invited. Yeah, she turned it into a school. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, but you know what? I the one good thing I think is a lot of black people are going to get an opportunity to act because you know they don't the big studios don't give us an opportunity to act and or have a big production and everything. So I think this is great because it's going to open up for a lot of talent, especially African American talent and those who's trying to exactly. make it to get an opportunity. Exactly. Yeah. And the, and I love how he named it after influential black people. Yeah. Like Diane Carroll, he named one yes. studio after her. That was really mm-hmm. nice. Yeah. Very Spike inspirational. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Did y'all see the Joker? I did, and I, I don't like too. scary movies. And I went to see it. I don't think it was that. Sc- I don't think it was scary. It was just the storyline was a look was dark. It that, was very dark. Oh, okay. The storyline is dark. It's so, just the. It's pretty much this movie was the truth about how, how he, he became. became yes, really who he is in his background. Yes. So apparently, mm-hmm. which I never realized, but mm-hmm. you know. I guess growing up, just, mm-hmm. they never really told the story of the Joker. No, they didn't know. Yeah. yeah. They so haven't. this is the actual story of how wow. he came to be. Okay. He became, yes. Yeah. And um, yeah, it, I enjoyed it as well. It was it was very dark, but I did I did enjoy it. And um, you know it it. It was a lot of controversy about mm-hmm. this movie because of the mental health and right. and the things that it touched on because, you know, he was bullied and, you know, things and like that. And it was that. saying that people was getting up and walking out of the movie theater. I did not see it. I don't see why. Really? I never heard. I didn't it hear was an article. This. Yeah, it was an article saying that people were getting up, leaving mm-hmm. the movies, like, yeah. in the middle of the movie because they were, like, mm-hmm. pissed. <laughs> because it was, like, about mental health? Like, yeah. it, was make, like, it wasn't making then, fun of it, though, was no, it? No, no. Oh, it's not making fun of it. It's just, I don't know if they think that it's a lie. I don't know. I, don't know. Well, I know part of it because I've seen some stories on like CNN and things like that. Part of it, part of the history of it is because the Batman movie um, that opened up of, uh, some years ago, right. there was the shooting in Colorado at that movie theater. Oh, yeah. And so they were worried that this movie would mm-hmm. trigger because I believe the the guy that did that, he had some mental health issues. He shot up the, the, the movie right. theater. Now, fast forward to twenty. Um, 19 they're releasing this movie and um, some of the people some of the victims from that felt like um, this could trigger because it was about Uh, mental health and you know and it kind of put you in a spot where you empathize with him Mm -hmm. you know it it did the way the story was told how he came to be and it put you in a in a a position where you could empathize with why he was this way Uh, and so they felt like that you know made light of 
the situation that happened in Colorado or or it could trigger some people who, you know, have some yeah. issues to do something like that again. So, oh, um, okay. but like know. my my mom had mentioned, she was saying like they have the whole what's what's that movie where they have the um uh, what is that? Where they in the neighborhoods and the people trying to kill people um what is that? Start with a P. Hmm. I'm not sure. They turned it into a show. It was a movie. They had a part one and a part two. The Purge. The Purge. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. I've never seen that. That was she was talking about. Oh, yeah. Talking about how yeah. that could trigger mental. Exactly. I mean, it it's really true. Can. That, that's it really on TV. Can. And that could trigger. It's pretty much giving you yeah. a pass yeah. to just do crime. This is a good. Yeah. This is a good idea. Exactly. We should do this. Yeah. yeah. I've seen one of those movies and it was crazy. Cause, yeah. I mean, just and imagine. That's the reason why I never watched it. Yeah. Just imagine if people had the opportunity. So yeah, it's definitely scary. But yeah, I'll have to see it. I didn't originally have any. I, it wasn't one of those that sparked my attention. You know mm-hmm. what has though, and I haven't seen it. Hustlers. I have. That's kind of sparked my attention. To I see. did not like Hustlers. <laughs> I have. Was to, it I'm really glad, bad? I'm glad I went I on Tuesday when it was five dollars. Really? <laughs> I agree with Chelsea Jade. I yeah. was expecting so much. Mm-hmm. I mean, the fact because I love movies that are based on true stories. Right. So that was what led me. It's to not see that it. it was horrible. Yeah. It just maybe it just didn't meet the expectation the of the hype. It right. Did, yeah. Okay. Now it I can say I Jennifer Lopez did do her thing. She looks really good for she her did. age. She did. Mm-hmm. She did good for her. Mm-hmm. You know. But Cardi B mm-hmm. only had her five minutes, I believe. It was, it was and they said J Lo only danced in it like one time. They said it wasn't like she did a whole bunch of yeah, things. Yeah, no. what about it, Kiki? It, yeah, Kiki had a yeah she had a major part. She was one of the the ladies when they were uh-huh. doing the scam. She had yeah. just yeah she had just a a good amount of fa- um, time yes. as uh, Jennifer Lopez. Yeah, okay. But I, Cardi B really didn't have that much time, so I think they definitely used her as like a. To bring in, to bring the, in yeah. viewers, yeah. right? For me, it was I don't know. It was a little hard to follow. It was kind of mm-hmm. all kinda, over the place. Yeah, uh, to me, that's I don't know. That's I think that's what I didn't really like about it. It was like okay, or 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 for me, I kept feeling like it was going to get to like a climax, but it never really <laughs> did. I don't know well, what you know it was. What? I'm yeah. off on my I, day. I might go see it and just make it a matinee. Yeah, yeah, don't yeah. About, yeah. Do and then we can talk. Get your <laughs> yeah, opinion. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. Then I'll come back and let y'all know yeah. how I feel. But all right, we're gonna get into some. That was really, that was really good. I just, I don't know. It's just so much going. Oh, don't let me forget. Um, let's definitely send out our prayers to Arrow Spence. Um, and I don't even know if I'm saying his name right. The box, the fighter from yeah, Texas, Dallas, Texas. You know, he got into that really bad car accident. Oh, I, I actually saw that, that I heard about video, that. and oh my gosh, that car caught on fire. Wow! And he was actually thrown out of the car. Wow! I just hope and pray he's okay. Um, because you know he was making a lot of noise. I just watched his last fight that he had um he did really really well um so i just you know blessing prayers and blessings out to his family i hope everything is okay but um hopefully he makes a full recovery because you know that's crazy like we just heard about the kevin hart and now Mm -hmm. him so yeah i just hope and pray i don't know what you know what happened they haven't really released much information but yeah definitely hope he makes a full recovery because um, you know, we were just interested he's up and in his, coming. Exactly. He's mm-hmm. up and covering, just getting started. Mm-hmm. And Lord only knows what else he had in store for him. So yeah. I hope all the best is for him. In this episode of OEL, we speak with credit expert Carolyn Warren. We will discuss all of the complexities revolving around the word credit. We will break down how credit has a major impact on our lives and the role it plays in financial freedom. So sit back, relax and enjoy some juicy conversation that is sure to be on everyone's lips. 
Today, our special guest is a credit expert who has over 20 years experience working in the financial industry, helping folks save money. She has worked as a mortgage broker and wholesale mortgage account executive for some of the nation's largest lenders. She was also a sales representative for Correct Credit Company, Inc., She is the author of Repair Your Credit Like Pros, Build and Protect Your Credit Like the Pros, Mortgage Ripoffs and Money Savers, and Home Buyers Beware. Her passion is helping people improve their credit, save money, and reach their dream of home ownership. It is our pleasure to welcome Miss Carolyn Warren to the studio. Yay! (laughs) Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me here. It's my pleasure. Yes, we definitely appreciate you being here. So we want to get started and get right into it because we want to get as much information as we can in on this show because we really want to help our listeners get into repairing their credit, learning more about their credit. So the first question uh, that we really have for you, uh, Mrs. Warren, is for those listeners who might not be familiar with a credit score, can you just tell us briefly what a credit score is and what are the major credit bureaus and, and what they do? That's a great question to start with because everyone needs a high credit score and most people already have a credit score, whether they realize it or not. So a credit score is a number between 350 and 850 that tells a creditor or a lender how risky it is to lend you money or give you a credit card. So it might sound like an odd uh, decision that would boil down to one number, but in the old days, a person would go into their bank, sit down with their banker, ask for a loan, have a friendly chat, explain how and why they could take the money back. And then the banker would make a decision uh, to give them a loan or not. And he might take into account, well, if you're in a wheelchair, I don't know if you're going to be able to work. Or if you were female, uh, they didn't like making loans to you. So Mm -hmm. there were a lot of prejudices and uh, personal biases that could creep into the decision. Well, in 1956, Two dudes, an engineer and a mathematician by the name of Bill Fair and Earl Isaac, got the brilliant idea that they could use criteria such as how has this person paid back their loans in the past, were they late, did they pay on time, how much debt do they have, how long of a track record they have, all these pieces of criteria, they could use all of this information more than 100 pieces of criteria and assign each part uh, a number and evaluation and then boil it down to one single number between 350 and 850. And this would make it easier for banks and credit card companies and other lenders to determine whether or not you were worthy of having a loan. So Mr. Fair and Mr. Isaac system called the Fair Isaac Company uh, invented the FICO score. And the three main credit bureaus, also called credit reporting agencies, which are Equifax, Experian, and TransUnion, they use the FICO score system. And now almost all banks, credit unions, lenders, credit card companies 
use it to determine whether or not to approve your application. That was great information because, you know, I never knew the history of how it came about, but um, it's so interesting. I did always hear about, you know, the Fair Isaac, um, but I just never knew that portion of it. So that's definitely um, given me some insight, some some knowledge on that, on how the history of how the credit came about. A lot of people think that the credit bureaus are government agencies, mm-hmm. but they're not. They're private companies. They've grown very large. They've gone public. There are The government had to set step in and create some laws for fairness, but they are not government agencies. And so your bank or credit union is not required to report your information to these private companies. And in fact, it costs them money to do so. So you're saying that you said your bank is not required to report this information. So when you get a credit card with your bank, like I have, for example, a credit union, they're not required to report that information to the credit bureaus? That's right. It's completely voluntary. And so this is why not all companies report to all three credit bureaus because it costs them money to report the information. The credit bureaus, can you imagine? They're collecting money by receiving information and collecting money by selling information. Mm, So they're making money coming in and going out. Wow, that makes a lot of sense. Okay. But we as we as people don't have the option, though, right? Once we start a credit card with a uh, a bank or um, get it with a store or anything like that, we don't have the option on whether or not that uh, to give that information away, right? There, that's up to whoever we get the credit card with. Yes. Okay. Exactly right. Okay. If it's their policy to report to all three bureaus, that's the way it is for all their customers. If it's their policy to report to only one bureau, that's the way it is for all of their customers. But it answers the question, well, why do I have a different score with Experian than I do with TransUnion? Because not all creditors report information to all three credit bureaus. I often wondered why that was. Thank you for answering that. I often wondered why the scores could be different between the different bureaus. I never really understood that. So thank you for explaining that. That's the main reason why scores can differ, because each credit bureau could have different information on file. But the other factor is mistakes. So human mistakes um, and errors and, you know, incorrectly reported information can creep in. So maybe there's an error with TransUnion and not with Equifax. And that also can affect the difference in your credit scores. And I know in the beginning you mentioned um, a lot on how, you know, we come up with the credit and gave us a history on how um, they go about getting that information and what made them come to do that. Um, And we know that credit affects every area of our financial life. But do you have any examples that how credit might affect us, uh, but that might be a surprise to people that, you know, maybe, I don't know, job, it can affect your jobs or any other ways that we might not be aware of that credit affects us? Oh, that's a great question. Most people are very surprised to find out that their credit score affects their auto insurance premium. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. Did you know that mm-hmm. a person with a low credit score will pay a higher auto insurance premium than a person with a DWI on their record? Wow. wow. No, I did no, not I didn't know realize that. that. 
Very informative. According to the, uh, one study done by auto insurance companies, a person with a low credit score uh, was paying $1,521 an annual auto insurance premium. And the person who was caught driving while intoxicated paying $1,097 in auto insurance. So the person with the low credit score was paying $424 more than the person with a DWI on their record. I wonder why that is. Yes, yeah. why is that? Yeah. It shows you the importance of the auto of having a high credit score. It even affects your auto insurance. Mm. Yeah, that's... Wow. wow, I would have never known. <laughs> yeah, That's definitely something. That's a surprise. Be a more reckless driver if you have a lower score than if you were caught driving while intoxicated. Crazy, huh? Yeah, that is crazy. Yeah, <laughs> you would think it would be the opposite. But <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, exactly. So for every driver, your credit score is uh, comes into play for your auto insurance. Yeah, that definitely is informative. Like I, I would have never known that. Now I'm going to call. And see, yeah. what, call around and see what my different prices are. Yeah, which you probably should be checking on anyway. Yes. Um, and so we did. We we spoke about um, a little bit because I know, like the the FICO score. Um, of course, probably I think the beginning of that probably stands for Fair Isaac. I can't remember the rest of it. But I did want to know what a, a question that we all had collectively is: What is the difference between a FICO score and a Vantage score? because the Vantage score is more and more in the news right now. So the three credit bureaus, Experian, Equifax, and TransUnion, um, got their heads together and said, let's create a more accurate score than the FICO score. So they developed their own credit scoring system, and they call it the Vantage score. And originally, the Vantage score went up to about a 950 score, uh, as opposed to 850 with FICO. Well, that just confused everybody, because people would get their Vantage score and say, oh, my score is 900, and then uh, people would say, well, that's not possible. The scores go only go up to 850. So recently, the Vantage score has readjusted to match the FICO score um, of ranging from 300 to about 850. But it's a different credit scoring model. Instead of being developed by the mathematician and the engineer, it was developed by the three credit bureaus. Um, it's for sale. You can buy your Vantage score for $7.95. But here's the thing to be aware of. Currently, banks and mortgage lenders are still using FICO. They're not using the Vantage score. So the credit bureaus say, well, the advantage of using Vantage score is our scoring model is a little more generous. So you're likely to have a higher score with Vantage. Well, that's wonderful for you, except the mortgage lenders aren't using the Vantage score. So that's going to make no difference when it comes to buying your home. Okay, so you, should we not care about the Vantage score since, I mean, or do you feel like it still holds some weight? They use a lot of the same criteria, such as paying on time, not having too much credit, not having your balances too high. So uh, we all should care about all of those things and creating a good credit profile for ourselves. 
personally, I don't recommend spending $8 to buy the vanity floor because it's not really come into popular usage yet. Since it's very important to know your credit score, what are the best ways to obtain your credit report? Because so many people are using websites such as Credit Karma, etc. And uh, we know that you mentioned in your book that an annual credit report is not is not the best. So how how could we go about getting the best information about our credit scores? Yeah, like the annual credit report website. I think that's that's what she's referring to. Yes. You mentioned something uh, in your book about that, um, you know, get, getting a, obtaining that information from that website as well. Oh, okay, so I'm glad um, you brought that up because I'm happy to explain that. So federal law gives every single person the right to receive one free credit report a year. So that you can check it for accuracy and make sure you don't have ID theft or fraud or mistakes on your report. The best way to get your annual free credit report is to write using the good old-fashioned United States Postal Service to write a letter, put a stamp on it, and put it in the mail to get your annual credit report. The reason why it's not best to do it the fast and lazy way of getting it through the website is because when you use the website system, annualcreditreport.com, you have to click on, yes, I agree to these terms of use. Well, how many people open that up and read all the legalese uh, terms of use, right? You just click the box, yes, and get your score, or report, I'm sorry, your report. What people don't realize is when they're clicking yes, then they're giving up certain rights for disputing and for even suing the credit bureaus if they completely mess up your report. So you need to do it through the mail, not online. So you're saying the information any of your rights. So the information that you may get on online could be different from what you receive in the mail? No, it's going to be the same credit report. Mm-hmm. But by getting it online, you check a little box that says that you're giving up certain legal rights and disputing your credit. Okay. Okay. Mm. That makes okay. So if there are errors on your credit report, and a surprisingly large number of credit reports do contain errors, there's different statistics, uh, well over half of credit reports have errors. If there are errors, then and you get your report online and you check that little box, yes, I agree to the terms for getting my report online, you're giving up certain dispute rights. Hmm. Okay. It's going to be the same report, but you're giving up legal rights. Okay, yeah, you definitely don't want to do that because yeah. if you need to yeah, dispute something or if you see something's incorrect... Okay, so I I definitely didn't know that. I was definitely unaware. I didn't know that either. That's that's very interesting. Here's a real life example. One woman had a um, collection on her credit report from a state she had never lived in. It wasn't her account. It was somebody with a name similar to hers who lived in a different state that she lived in. It was wow. messing up her credit so she couldn't buy a home. 
Oh my she goodness. To the credit bureaus and said, um, this isn't my account. It's somebody else with the same name. They wouldn't remove it. <gasps> oh my gosh. By law, she has the right to sue them because it's illegal to post negative information on your report that's not true and negatively impact you financially. Um, if you had, if she had gotten her report online, she gives up her right to sue them. If she gets her report um, through the U.S. mail, she has a right to sue them. Yeah, and you know, with today's day and age, everybody wants their information right away and so quick. So this is definitely eye-opening because, you know, we're used, so used to going online. I mean, just think about how many bills we pay online and everything. Everything is done quickly. We have cash apps now, you know, that you can send people money. You barely have to go to your bank to cash a check or to put in a check because now... You know, you can take a picture and scan it. So hearing this is very eye-opening, and I hope our listeners can gain some knowledge from that because um, I know I have because I am so used to going online and getting everything right away, sending to my email so I can just open it up and I don't have to worry about, you know, going to the mail because now everybody is, you know, so into nobody wants yeah. Wants to take the time out to have something sent to them. And plus, people barely buy stamps anymore. Exactly. You know? So exactly. the fact that you have to <laughs> sit down and write a letter. Exactly. I would have never thought that. So, yeah, yeah that is some really, really good information. It's absolutely. Very eye-opening. And um, definitely, um, definitely happy to hear that. Definitely. Now, this next question, I definitely want to know this. How long does debt and derogatory remarks stay on your credit report? Um, I know that for me, I am someone who has medical, um, me- medical, you know, things that are probably on my report. How long is there a difference between medical or other types of debt staying on your report? And, and how long do those derogatory marks, remarks stay on there? Oh, yeah, that's a question a lot of people have. So a negative account, a collection, late payments, those stay on your report from seven years from the date that they first went late. Um, A bankruptcy can stay on your report for 10 years. Now, that's um, the maximum they can stay on your report. If the creditor agrees to remove it early, and they can, it's their legal right, there's no law that says a creditor has to, cannot remove it early for you, then it can be uh, removed sooner. And is there a difference between, because I know like some people may have like credit card um, derogatory remarks or like maybe a derogatory remark from an apartment that they stayed in prior, um, you know, before and that maybe they um, had to pay them back some money or they might have medical. So is there a difference between those types of derogatory remarks and how long they would stay on there? Okay. Years from the date that they went late. Okay, and that's for any type of derogatory remark, any type of um, collections or anything. Okay. Collections, whether it's a credit card. Okay. Or medical. Okay. So it's all looked at as the same. Auto loan. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And then the older it gets, the less it impacts your score. So if you have an old medical collection that's six years old. It's not impacting your score nearly as much as if it's only one year old. And then um, now I know a lot of people, um, especially my friends, um, they are thinking about 
um, you know, before they're purchasing a house, they were thinking of getting or using a credit repair company to temporarily remove your credit. Is this a good idea? Is this something that we should be doing? Or how will that affect you in the long run if you decide to do something like that? Okay, I'm glad you asked that because it is something a lot of people think of doing. Mm-hmm. You can do your credit repair work yourself, or if you're very busy and don't have the time, knowledge, and patience to do it yourself, you can hire a professional to do it for you. But there's no sense in hiring a company who is only going to remove it temporarily. That's just setting yourself up for um, disappointment later. So one of a very good question to ask when you're interviewing uh, credit repair companies considering who you want to employ is how often or what's the percentage of negative negative accounts that you get removed that come back. What you want to hear is zero, never. If they say, oh, a small amount uh, will reappear again, then that's not the company you want to hire. You want the negative accounts that get removed to remain permanently off your credit report, not temporarily off. Okay, so I I just wanted to ask a question um, in regards to that. So when there are derogatory, derogatory marks on the credit, how do you get it removed? Do you call the bank? Do you call that company? How, how do you go about getting it removed if you're trying to do it yourself or if the credit repair company is doing it? Yes. So great question. So here's the secret on how professional credit repair specialists get a late payment or a collection or other negative permanently removed from your report. The credit bureaus collect information. And how do they collect this information? Through the creditors. So the credit card company, the bank, the student loan servicer, the automobile loan servicer, they report the information to the credit bureaus. And the credit bureaus uh, place it on your report. If the creditor, Visa card, the auto finance company, the doctor's um, medical bill um, servicer, if the creditor themselves tell the credit bureaus to remove the negative item, they will remove it and remove it permanently. Now, so there's two ways that you can dispute a negative item. If you think it's incorrect, the date's wrong, the account's wrong, or like the example I gave, it was somebody else with a similar name. She had never even lived in that state. If there's a mistake on your credit report, you can write into the credit bureaus and inform them of the error. If they believe you or their investigation uh, shows that it is an error, they'll remove it. But if they're not sure if that's correct, Uh, bill out to the collector or the creditor and say, ask them to verify it. And if it's not verified, they'll remove it. If the creditor verifies that the negative account is true, they won't remove it. But if the creditor says, remove this negative account, they will remove it, and then it comes off permanently. So let's say, here's a real-life example. 
I had one of my book readers uh, had some uh, several late accounts um, with her bank because she lived in the flood zone um, post-hurricane. So the hurricane came through. They were flooded out. Her business suffered. She had to move out of her home. And consequently, she got behind on some of her bills. Well, I suggested that she go in and talk with her bank manager in person and say, hey, the reason I got behind is because of the flood and the hurricane, and I'm back on my feet now. She did that. The banker not only told the credit bureaus to remove all the late payments, they refunded her the late fees as well. And so that was a permanent solution to getting those off of her credit report. If the creditor tells the credit bureaus to remove it, mm-hmm. and in this case they did far before the seven-year mark, then that will happen. So, yeah, just taking the time out, I guess, to really sit down, review your report, and t- taking the time out to, to um, write the bureaus and analyze everything. You also mentioned in your book that you can remove bankruptcy um, from your report. Can you explain uh, more of that on how you can do that? Well, a bankruptcy, the credit bureaus do not actually communicate with the local courts um, to get the bankruptcy information. They go through a third-party provider for that. So a lot of times there are errors in that regard they'll have the wrong date or the wrong bankruptcy type. So if there's an error on your information, then according to the Fair and Accurate Credit Reporting Act, a federal law, um, they have to remove it if the information is false or incorrect. Um, What some people have done, and I caution against this, um, because I do am not an advocate of lying to the credit bureaus. You can challenge something if it's inaccurate or false, the dates are wrong, uh, they say you had a Chapter 7 bankruptcy when it was a Chapter 13 or whatever the incorrect information is, but I do not advocate lying to them and saying I didn't have a bankruptcy when I really did. Um, that's what some of the uh, shady uh Um, companies will do Mm -hmm. and when that happens and if they get it removed then your mortgage lender is still going to find out about the bankruptcy because they have other sources um, for learning about bankruptcies it could be on your title report attached to your social security number um, other types of ways so if there's any inaccuracies that's a loophole for getting it off if you do get it off, but you still have to answer the question honestly when you're applying for a mortgage, have you ever had a bankruptcy? Um, because lying on a mortgage application is a felony, and you don't want to go into that territory, and the mortgage lender will find out about it in another way. Another thing that a lot of people have been doing um, or speaking about is consolidating their debt. Um, do you think this is a good idea? Is there really any benefits to consolidating your debt if you have a whole bunch of credit cards uh, debt or, you know, you have different student loans and, and you want to put those all together? Is there benefits to doing that? Well, that's a great question. So I am very much in favor of consolidating student loans. Okay. Okay. It will save you 
interest payments and save you money, uh, that can be a very good thing to do. In most cases, I'm going to say 95% of the time, I am against consolidating credit card debt into a mortgage because you take that small credit card debt, let's say it's $3,000, and then you stretch it out into a 30-year mortgage loan, you're going to be paying back a lot more by paying on it for 30 years than just paying it separately yourself. That makes sense. There are some exceptions to that, but most of the time it's not a good idea to consolidate your credit card debt into a mortgage loan. It's good information because I believe a lot of, I believe people do that a lot. I believe that's done a lot. They do that a lot and mortgage, unfortunately there are loan officers out there who aren't looking out for people's best interests. They're just looking to get the biggest loan they can. So they say, hey, why don't we take um, your 10000 in credit card debt and just roll that into the loan too. And then the person thinks, oh, yeah, that's great. I could get rid of those credit card payments. Well, now they're paying on that for 30 years. And they end up paying a lot more um, in the long run. And then they go out and rack up their credit card balances again. Mm -hmm. So they're even in even a worse position than they were to start with. Makes, yeah, makes a lot of sense. Yeah, you definitely don't want to do that. Um, Now, when we mentioned student loan debt, I know you said you do believe in uh, consolidating them, especially if it saves you with the interest. Um, When you are buying a house or you want to apply for certain loans, is student debt frowned uh, frowned upon when applying for loans? or And what do you feel is like the best way to handle or manage student loan debt? Well, student loan debt is actually positive debt. If a student loan that's paid on time every month is getting you positive credit uh, points, so there's nothing wrong with having a student loan. It's actually good for your credit score when you are paying on time every month. I had heard... It's it's only when it goes late that it becomes negative. I had heard that student debt was looked at more positively. Yes. So the only problem with having a lot lot of student debt is if it if your monthly outgo is so high then you can't afford a mortgage loan and your student debt so only then does it become a problem for example let's say you have a hundred thousand dollars in student loan debt well that payment might be so high that you can't afford a house payment and a student loan payment then your loan will be denied for debt to income ratio reason Oh, because you have student loans. But let's say you have $30,000 in student loans and uh, the interest rate is fairly low and you can make your student loan payment and make a mortgage payment, then that's great. You'll get your mortgage loan just fine. Okay, so it is factored into your debt-to-income ratio. So they do factor it in there, but as far as the debt itself is not looked at negatively, but they do factor it into the debt-to-income ratio. By they, I mean the mortgage lender okay. is deciding whether or not to give you the home loan. Got- as far as the credit bureaus, no, they do not factor in debt-to-income ratio. Because the credit bureaus don't even know your income. It is illegal to 
consider um, your income, employment status, um, sex, uh, race, religion, any of those things are illegal to factor into your credit. That would be discriminating against certain groups of people. So if income was involved in your credit score, that would be discrimination against poor people versus wealthy people. So that's illegal. Um, so it's only if it's a late is it negative, and if it's paid for positively, then that's positive on your credit report. But when you're going to say, hey, I'd like to buy this house, it's a quarter of a million dollars, then the mortgage lender is going to say, well, can you afford to pay me back? Let me see what your income is. Let me see what your outgo is. And then that's when the debt-to-income ratio comes into place. Okay, that's great information. And I just wanted to bring up a what. Uh, I wanted to bring up a good point to our listeners about what you were saying about when you pay the student loans on time, it is not looked at negatively. Because I know in my situation, um, when I first bought my home, I did have a lot of debt. But the one thing that I always did, I always paid everything on time. And so even though I had a lot of debt, my credit score was really good. And the lender, they were like, we've never seen someone with this amount of debt with such a good credit score. So I think it's really important important point to for our listeners that you know you may be in debt but it is so important to make those payments on time because you are protecting your credit score even though it may feel like you will never pay those balances off you are protecting your credit score so yeah i like that because it shows you're responsible exactly and you're dependable because they know that you're going to make the payments and that's the main point to a to to your credit is being showing that you're responsible so it's pretty much like your reputation your loyalty people you know know okay so yeah that that definitely does make a lot of sense and you want to have a positive reputation in the financial community mm-hmm. and the way you have a positive financial is reputation is by managing your credit in a responsible way and when you take out a loan or use a credit card you are promising to pay that back and so you need to be a promise keeper if you're promising to pay it back with a certain payment every month, you need to keep that promise and do that. And then you'll always have a good reputation. So when you are in the process of trying to battle and, and take care of your debt and everything, what debt should you tackle first um, when you're trying to pay everything off? Is it medical? Oh, Is it credit card or student loan? Oh, I love that question because there is the financial way of looking at it and the psychological way of looking at it. Financially speaking, look at which account has is charging you the highest interest rate and pay that off first. If you have a credit card that's charging you 18%, then that's the one you want to get rid of before, you, uh, before the car loan that's maybe charging you 6%. Mm-hmm. So by paying off the highest interest rate accounts faster and first, that will save you the most money. Now, there's another line of thought out there that says, well, start with the smallest one first. If you have a credit card that's $1,000, get rid of that before you tackle the one that's $5,000. Because then you can say, ah, I did it. I got rid of one credit card. Now I'm on to the next one. 
So, you know, there's something emotional about that. But, you know, it makes sense financially. You're going to save the most money getting rid of the ones with the highest interest rate first. Okay, yeah, that definitely makes sense because then you don't want to accumulate that interest and then end up paying paying more. So, yeah, definitely makes more sense. And you want to pay down the revolving debt, meaning the credit cards, before the installment loans, meaning the student loans and the car loans. Get rid of your re, uh, credit card debt first before the installment loans. Okay, and mm-hmm. I'm sorry, this may be installment. What do you mean by installment loans? I'm not sure if that's... A- oh, installment <laughs> loans are loans with an ending date. Okay. So a credit card or a student loan uh, might be for five years or ten years. Mm-hmm. A car loan might be for three years or five years. It's got a definite ending date. Whereas a credit card goes on forever. It revolves for the rest of your whole life. You oh, okay. Okay, that makes sense. You're Thanks right. for explaining yeah, that. Definitely. Thank you. Yeah, because I wasn't sure. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you for asking. And what about medical debt? Is that looked at negatively? Because I know you mentioned we talked about student loan, you know, being good if you make a payment on it. What about medical debt when you're trying to apply for a mortgage or a car? How is that looked at? Well, the interesting thing about medical debt is it does not show on your credit report at all unless it gets at least 60 days late. So it's really important to stay on top of your medical bills Mm -hmm. and pay attention to what your insurance company is doing because sometimes insurance companies are very lax and they want to, um, one insurance company is arguing with another insurance company as to who's going to pay the bill or they're very slow and they don't pay it for a long time. Well, if it goes unpaid for 60 days, then it's going to get reported on your credit report and negatively impact the score, mm-hmm. uh, which isn't fair because, you know, it was the insurance company was supposed to take care of it in the first place. Um, so you really need to stay on top of what's going on with your medical bills. If they're paid on time, they're not going to show up on your credit report. Um, if because it happened to so many people that the insurance companies were lax in paying on time, and so medical bills went on their credit report when they should not have because it was the insurance company's responsibility. Uh, medical um, bills, FHA, a Federal Housing Administration, will not take into account medical bills when qualifying you for a mortgage loan. Uh, so that uh, gives people a break. but they can still impact your score. So let's say your insurance company was lax and a medical bill showed up on your report. Then you get this surprise. I didn't even know that happened. Well, you need to call your insurance company, get that straightened out, and and have the insurance company uh, send a letter to the three credit bureaus and tell them to remove that off of your credit report. And you can also get a copy of that and send it in to the credit bureaus and uh, ask them to remove it from your credit report. So real quick, I know this might be backtracking a little bit. So is it safe to say whenever dealing with the credit bureaus, it's best to mail a letter in any situation? Mail is the best way to communicate with them. Yes, it is. That's the way the professional credit repair specialists uh, handle 
credit repair through the mail. Okay. And you want to do it the way that professionals do. So through the mail is the best way. I learned something new today because I did not realize that. Yeah. And I mean, in this day and age, that's yes, very important to think it about. It is. You know, with everybody wanting quick information, wanting everything to be done right away. Um, definitely, I hope our OEL listeners are gaining the knowledge and, and really um, getting informed about how to take care of their credit debt. Now, one question we do have is what happens when you co-sign for a loan for someone? Because I know growing up, my mother always told me you never give someone money unless you really, you know, you don't, you know, you're not going to need it back. Don't ever loan anyone anything if you know that you're going to need it one day. So how do you feel about that? Co-signing for someone, co-signing a loan for someone. mother is so right. She's very <laughs> <laughs> when you co-sign a loan for someone, you are you become equally responsible and liable for 100% of that debt. And it goes on your debt to income ratio if you should want to buy a house. So, let's say you're a parent and you co-sign on a car loan for your child or for a friend or a fi- for a uh, fiance. Mm-hmm. You now are responsible for that car loan and when you go to apply for a mortgage loan they're going to count that car payment that $450 a month or whatever it is as your um, debt to income ratio if the person who you co-sign for does not make a payment you are responsible for it and you need to keep on, on top of that and make sure if they go late on a payment, it's going to be on your credit report as you are late. And that can drop your score by 50, 70, even 80 points. Mm, wow. So it can be absolutely disastrous. Um, there's only one answer when someone asks you to co-sign for them. And that is no. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say something. I love it. I love it. And <laughs> I agree. <laughs> Definitely. Absolutely. Um, and so what is the minimum number of credit cards um, you should have to increase your credit score? Or what is the maximum credit card utilization rate um, you should carry on those cards? Okay, great question. So to get an FHA mortgage loan, you need to have at least two accounts on your credit report. To get a conventional loan, which is better and cheaper than an FHA loan, you need to have three accounts on your credit report. So if you have two credit cards and one student loan, that's three accounts. If you have one credit card, one student loan, and one car loan, that's three accounts. If you don't have a student loan or a car loan, then three credit cards will be three accounts. So Three is the minimum number of accounts you want to have on your credit um, on your credit report. And I tell people two credit cards, two major credit cards, that's enough. That's plenty. A Visa and a MasterCard, mm-hmm. two Visa cards, that's all you need. Or a Visa, Master, and a gasoline card, uh, that's all you need. It's three accounts. Don't go out crazy and get a credit card with all your favorite stores. Um, If you're holiday shopping and they say, oh, you'll save 10% on your purchase today, if you sign up for a store card, say no thank you because having um, 10, 12, 15 credit cards open 
is not good on your credit report. Oh, and they love to do that. <laughs> yeah, yes, it's not worth the 10% uh, to have a whole lot of credit uh, credit cards. Uh, three, three, that's all you need. And the scoring model favors three for maximum points. Now, that said, I've seen people that had seven credit cards that were still caught to your credit because they had a long history of paying everybody on time. But... Three is all you need. And then for maximum utilization, a general rule of thumb, because it's not a hard and fast rule as far as the scoring model goes, is 30%. If you your balances are never more than 30% of the allowable limit, you're going to have a good credit score. Uh, if you balance is more than 50% of the allowable limit, your credit score is going to be docked. Mm -hmm. And okay. if your credit card balance is 80, 90, 100% of the limit, your credit score is going to be even more severely docked, even if you make all the payments on time. So never max out your credit cards. Always keep them below 50% of the allowable limit. And if you can keep them below 30% of the allowable limit, even better for achieving a high score. And so what are the best ways to build your credit score? Um, I know we talked about, you know, paying things on time. Is there any other ways that we can build it? Because, you know, sometimes when you go on sites like Credit Karma and things like that, they're always suggesting get another card, get another card, you know, and that'll raise your credit report. Is it just paying them down? Is that just the best thing to do when you feel like, okay, I, you know, I'm some debt, I need to tackle it, just making those payments on time? Like what is the best, best way to build that score? Or even someone who doesn't have any history of having a score, what should they do? The fastest way that you can improve your score is to look at the balances. If you're using more than 50% of the limit, pay those balances down fast. Or you can even call the creditor and say, will you raise my limit? That's another way to change that percentage fast. Just don't charge more if they raise your limit. And um, to keep your utilization low. Uh, and, of course, always, always, always pay on time. If you're just starting out, let's say you're 18 years old and you're just starting um, to build your credit profile, uh, you can get a secure credit card. So because you might say, well, how can I get a credit card? I don't have any credit. Nobody's going to trust me. If you go to your bank where you have your checking account and ask them, say, I'd like to start building my credit, I need a credit card, They'll give you a secure card, and what that means is, uh, let's say you put $300 cash into the account in exchange for the Visa card. Now $300 is your limit because they know that if you don't pay back, they have $300, $300 that they can use. So you pay a certain amount, which is going to be equal to the limit of your credit card, now you can use that card, but you're not going to charge up 300 right? Because you're not going to use 100% of your limit. You're never going to charge more than $100 because you want to keep it, you know, below 30%. Mm -hmm. 
and then you're going to pay off the entire bill every month when it comes in. That looks better than if you're only making minimum payments because you're um, sending the message, I am not spending more money than I can afford to pay back. So when you only make the minimum payment, you're saying, oh, I couldn't afford that, afford to pay everything that I actually purchased this month, so I'm only making minimum payment. And you don't get as many points that way. So keep, get a secure card, um, keep the balance low, just use it for something you were gonna buy anyway, gasoline for your car, milk at the store, and then pay the bill off in full, and after six months, they'll remove the security feature, refund you your $300 with interest, and now you've got a standard credit card. And I've seen people go from zero to having scores over 700 in only six months just by using that good responsible method uh, with a couple credit cards. Is this the best way? Because I know I always think about my daughter. I always think about how I'm going to help her establish credit. So would you say that's the best way, like doing a secure card for her when she first starts getting into that and putting maybe some money on it and seeing how she does with that? Yes, that's really the best way okay. for her to, because then she's getting credit in her own name that is all her credit. Um, another thing you can do if you trust your daughter and you know she's really responsible and you're going to keep on top of it and make sure that happens, is you could add her as a uh, co-person co, uh, on your own credit card, mm -hmm. and that could help her establish credit because you've got this credit card that you've had open for 10, 15 years, and then she gets added on as an authorized user. Mm -hmm. Now, all of a sudden, that gives her a long credit history. Um, just make sure you don't hand over your card and she goes... <laughs> <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> you don't, yeah, you don't know about it. Um, but also, there's a little uh, caveat with that because some credit card issuers don't report it on her, on her account to the bureaus. So you think you're helping her and she's getting advantage of your 20-year-old Visa card, but she's not because that particular Visa card company doesn't report it under her social security number as well as yours. Mm -hmm. So you want to ask that question before you do that. And if you do that, I consider doing that only as a temporary measure. Mm -hmm. So once six months have passed and she's got her own credit established with her own card, then you can have her removed off of there as an user. We'll definitely look into that uh, when it comes that time because um, I do want to get her started off on a good good start. Being that I'm a big Dave Ramsey fan and you know he believes cash is king, he doesn't believe in credit. So once you establish and, and you have good credit and uh, you know you've paid off your, your debts and things like that, what are some ways that you can protect it? Like do you just not use your credit cards anymore? How do you make sure like okay I paid off everything, I got my 700, 800 score or whatever uh, of credit. Now, what what should I do? What's the next step after that? Okay, I'm glad you asked. I love Dave Ramsey. I'm a Dave Ramsey fan as well. Mm -hmm. But the di one difference between Dave Ramsey and myself is 
um, I am working in the mortgage field. I'm a mortgage broker. Mm-hmm. He is not a mortgage broker. Right. So I am a big fan of home ownership, and very few people have the cash to go and buy a house for all cash. If you're as rich as Dave Ramsey, you can go buy a house for all cash. But that's not the majority of people. So you need to keep your credit active so that you have a credit score. And when you need to make a large purchase, such as a car or a house, you have the score um, to do that. So once you have perfect credit, keep your credit cards open. Even if you don't use them, that's okay. Keep them open. Use your credit card a couple times a year, just as a convenience, so that you can keep it active. Um, because some creditors will actually shut down your account if you never use it. Um, if you have a credit card that you don't use for a couple of years, they don't want to maintain the account, so they'll close it down. You don't want that to happen, so use it every now and then just to keep it active, and then you'll always have a high score. Here's what happens if you stop using all credit altogether. You don't use any of your credit cards for years. They all get shut down. You have no credit history because it's going to start disappearing. You don't have a car loan because you bought your car with cash. Mm -hmm. And when you become all cash and carry and completely stop using credit, your credit history disappears off of your credit report little by little. It gets so old, it expires. Mm -hmm. That's what I mean by disappear. It gets so old uh, that it expires. And then you're like the 18-year-old just starting off again. Oh, wow. you've got nothing on your credit report. I had uh, a man call me up. I was sitting in my mortgage office. He called and said, hey, can I come in? Uh, My wife and I want to buy a house and apply. I said, sure, come on in. So he roars up in his motorcycle with a backpack. I thought, oh, I wonder if he works at Microsoft. A lot of Microsoft people, young people who make a lot of money um, are uh, riding their motorcycles to work. (laughs) He comes in. He goes, yeah, I've got perfect credit. I pay everybody on time. I'm all ready to get my home loan. So I pull up his uh, credit report, and it's blank. Wow. score. Mm. I say, you don't have any credit here. You have no score. He says, how can that be? I used to have a lot of debt. I took the Dave Ramsey program. I worked really hard. Wow. I paid off all my debt. I called all my credit cards. I said, I'm done with you people. Shut down my card. I'm never going into debt again. He shut down all of his uh, accounts and only used debit cards. Mm-hmm. So he had no credit history. And I'm so sorry. You have no history of telling a mortgage lender, hey, I'm responsible. I pay back my creditors on time. Look, look at your page. It's blank. There's nothing here. Wow. Wow. Serious. He said, but I have a gym membership and a cell phone. I said, but you don't pay them with credit card. You pay them with debit card. Debit doesn't show on credit. Debit is not credit. If you had paid your auto pay um, gym membership with a credit card, you'd have a wonderful credit history for that. Um, but... It's on debit, which is not credit. 
And so he couldn't qualify for a mortgage loan. It was one of the saddest things. Wow. wow. Yeah, that's and very eye-opening. That's a good story. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. And that's good that you cleared that yeah. up because, you know, like like you said, I, I do listen to David. He's very adamant about, like, don't use your credit, you know, um, after you've paid off everything. But like you said, it makes sense. Like, you're not going to have anything to show if you do that in you know, even if you charge a little bit here and there, it's okay. Just make sure you just pay it off so you can have some type of history showing up. Yes, the key is don't charge more than what you can pay in full when the bill comes. Okay. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. But maintain your wonderful credit so that you always have that high, beautiful credit score. What if a, what if a disaster emergency happened and you needed to have a credit account. What if you wanted to charge a, you know, an airline on a credit, uh, airline ticket on a credit card? So you need, everybody needs to have some credit Mm -hmm. open and available to them, uh, in my professional opinion. I agree. Absolutely. We do actually have some outsiders who, um, of course, who some fans of the show who actually uh, had left a voicemail and they also sent an email that wanted to ask you a question. So if you have a few more minutes, we just want to go ahead and read off, uh, let you listen to a voicemail and read off an email of a question that we have uh, that some listeners had. All right. I'm always happy to help people out. Thank you so much. So we're going to go ahead and play the voicemail that someone, one of the listeners left. Hey, what's going on? This is Jason calling out of uh, Columbia, Maryland. Um, just regarding the credit um, show, I wanted to ask a couple of questions. Uh, like, what is the best resource to monitor your credit activity? Uh, what's the most efficient way to consolidate multiple credit card debt and personal debt? Uh, what's the most important aspect? of your credit report when purchasing a home for the first time? Uh, How exactly and what is the difference between your FICO credit score and a general credit report? And uh, why is there the credit reported to three separate bureaus and all have different score grading systems? Okay, Jason, you have some very good questions. So the reason why your credit scores are different different credit bureaus is not all creditors report to all three bureaus, so they don't all have the same information. And the best way to build and protect your credit when you want to get ready to buy a home loan is to have at least three accounts on your credit report, have them all paid on time. If your student loan debt is high, that's okay. Just pay it on time. If you're car loan is uh, maxed out, that's okay. Just pay it on time. It's only the revolving debt, the credit cards, that you want to keep a low balance to limit ratio on. So don't use your credit cards very much. Um, Pay them on time. Pay the balance in full every month, and you'll have a good score. If you've got too much debt out there, start paying that off. Pay off the high interest first. That will save you the most money. But when you pay off a credit card, don't shut it down. Just leave it open. Even if you're never going to use it again, it's uh, positive credit when it's paid on time, even if you don't use it. And um, just 
uh, go ahead and leave it there. Uh, what do I think about the different credit scoring models out there? So there are uh, websites that have free credit reports with scores on them, Credit Sesame, Credit Karma, some other ones. They don't have the FICO score model, so they're doing their best guess as to what your credit score might be. You can use those free ones to get a general idea of what's on your report and to watch the trend of your score. But just know that that's not your real mortgage score. Uh, your mortgage lender is going to get your FICO score when they order your mortgage credit report. Um, so they're useful for general information, but they're not exact, and sometimes they can be off by 30, 40, 50 points. So don't be shocked if your mortgage score is uh, different than your credit karma, your credit sesame score. Did I answer all those questions, or did you have another one? Thank you. Yes. I believe you answered all of them. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And we did have someone who had an email, so we want to read off the email um, real quickly and um, for the second question here. So a friend voluntarily surrendered her car back in 2014 because she couldn't afford the payments. After the vehicle was auctioned off, she was left with a balance of 10K. The account went into collections and is now on her credit report, hindering her from buying the house. She also has about 80K in student loans, making her debt-to-income ratio too high, making it impossible for a lender to give her a loan. The account was listed on her credit card as closed. She attempted to buy a home in 2018 and was three days from closing on the house when the lender said that they could not approve the loan. He requested that she contact the finance company and set up payment arrangements on the account. By doing this, the account was then open and is now showing negative ratings on her credit report due to non-payment. She wants to file bankruptcy, but I'm not sure if that's the best route for her. My question to you is, how can this account be removed from her credit report, or is bankruptcy her only option? Okay, so that's a tough situation that she went into. If you cannot afford your car loan any longer, do not go in and do a voluntary repossession. A voluntary repossession is just as damaging to your credit as a forced repossession. There's no difference on your credit report. If you can't afford your car anymore, drive it in and trade it for a lesser car. That way your credit will not take a hit. I know that doesn't help uh, this person who already had it, that done. So... What happens when a car is repossessed, let's say you owe 15000 and they sell it at auction and somebody buys it for 5000 Now there's still 10000 owing on it, and they put that on your credit as you owe them that extra $10,000. So her mortgage lender said you need to uh, start establishing payments on that 10000 once she's done making payments on time for six months, then the mortgage lender will say, okay, we're just treating this like any other loan. We see you're making your payments on time. We'll go ahead and uh, approve you. But the best thing to do is when you're making those payment arrangements, 
for that extra balance, ask them, say, hey, as part of our deal, as part of our contract we're making right now, that I'm going to pay you $200 a month until I get this ten grand paid off. As part of the deal, I want you to also contact the credit bureaus and have the repo removed from my account because now we're entering into a different type of relationship. We're entering into a relationship where I'm going to be paying back this loan. So with the cooperation of the creditor, then that can be removed off of your credit report. That's, that's the way the professionals do it, that they negotiate and work out a deal with the creditor and get their cooperation in having that removed. Um, other, but right now, with a repo on her report and making payments on her report, um, she herself can't get that removed because why are the credit bureaus going to believe that it's not hers? She's making payments. She's reestablished that the debt is hers. So she's going to have to get the help of the creditor in order to have that removed. Um, the thing about bankruptcy is student loans cannot be declared bankrupt on. You cannot de put a student loan in a bankruptcy and get your student loan debt wiped out. If so, just think of all the people that would go take out $100,000 in student loans and then go file bankruptcy and never pay the government back. So it doesn't work that way. Student loans are one of those things that always are going to have to be paid back. Um, and then I can never advise people regarding bankruptcy because each state has its own bankruptcy laws. And I'm not an expert in all 50 states' bankruptcy laws, and I'm not a bankruptcy attorney. But what I will recommend that you do is go speak with a bankruptcy attorney because most uh, attorneys will give you a free initial consultation, and then they can explain to you what the laws are in your state and advise you of your options and then see whether or not it makes sense. And sometimes bankruptcy is the best choice, but other times it doesn't make sense. So it's very individual. Good information. Thank you. Especially about the student loans. I didn't realize that. That's great information. Um, in closing, we, we had one more question. This is the, the closes out. Um, what credit repair companies would you recommend for people who don't want to do it themselves? Yeah. Excellent ethical credit repair companies that are licensed, bonded, have an attorney on staff. They do everything according to the law, and they also get phenomenal results at helping people improve their credit. And the best credit repair companies do involve you, the credit bureaus, highly favor the consumer also being somewhere involved with the process. But they'll guide you through it, and with their experience and expertise, they can do it a lot faster and um, lot saving you a lot of time. So a couple of the companies that I really like and recommend and have experience with people getting fabulous results 
One is THB Credit Solutions. Mr. Eric Kaplan is the president, owner, and founder of that. Um, he's done credit repair work for several of my own clients, gets phenomenal results. He'll re do a free consultation up front and let you know what he can and can't do. And um, he does not handle bankruptcies, by the way, but for other types of things he um, was absolutely fabulous at. If you have a bankruptcy you want help with, then I recommend U.S. Best um, Credit. They have an attorney on staff, licensed, bonded, and uh, they'll help you with that type of thing. Um, Correct Credit Company Incorporated has been doing credit repair for over 35 years, long before credit was a thing. Mr. Pat Fasano is the owner and founder of that company. He's been through all the federal investigations. One day the feds knocked on his door and said, we're raiding your office and we're going to go through everything and see what you're doing here. He came out squeaky clean, and one of the investigators signed up as a client <laughs> at the end of the investigation. Um, he's sued the credit bureaus multiple times and has never lost a case. They end up settling with him outside of court. So he is a true expert in this field. All three of those are uh, wonderful companies that I recommend. Thank you for that. And we'll we'll include that in our write-up of our show so we can um, make sure our listeners got that information. Thank you. Absolutely. We definitely appreciate all of the knowledge that you've dropped on us today. We've learned so much um, about the credit and how to build your credit and how to make sure that you can get a proper report on your credit. So we hope that our listeners have gained and uh, some knowledge on that and gets them right on the good good track to get their credit back together. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate talking with you and answering questions today. Could you give us your website and information about yourself where people can reach you just so our listeners can have that information and how people can purchase your books? Yes, certainly. So my website is askaskcarolynwarren.com. And uh, my books, if you want more information, because not everything can be told in a short time, is uh, Build and Protect Your Credit Like the Pros. That'll take you from beginner to expert. And Repair Your Credit Like the Pros if you want to do it yourself. Thank you so much. To our audience, you can email us at podcast at oelshow.com. You can follow us on IG and Facebook. On Instagram, our page is OEL Show. And on Facebook, it's on everyone's lips. And that's with an apostrophe S. You can also find today's show notes and any other show notes at OELshow.com backslash the episode number for this particular episode. It'll be episode 13. Um, you can contact the feedback hotline at 571-206-8292. There you can give us feedback on our previous shows. You can give us um, your topic ideas. If there's anything that you want to discuss, um, you can do so anonymously. Please subscribe to our podcast on everyone's lips. That's with an apostrophe S on iTunes, podcast, Spotify, Google Play, and other platforms that you may consume podcasts. You can also catch us on the True Radio Network under blogtalkradio.com. Please give us a rating. Five-star ratings are very much appreciated, but all honest feedback is welcome. 
Thank you. Thank you, Miss Warren, once again for joining us. And um, our audience, I know they're going to get a lot out of this great information. And until we meet again, live well, laugh often, and love much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.